Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. that this is the last of our hurtful things Christians say sermons. I feel like we could go on for quite a while. (laughs) Maybe another time. I think that this has been a a wonderful opportunity to encourage us to look at the things that we say and, and try to measure them up to see that are we saying the things that we mean to say and are we conveying the message that is most important. And as Methodists, as United Methodists, whether you are formerly a a, a member or whether you are just a part of our family of faith or whether you just happen to show up here today, as those who are gathered here today in the body of Christ that is flavored with Methodism, we are called to be a people who convey God's grace above all. And so our words should do that. And so as we're closing out this series and we've been focusing on the things that we thought we're righteous, we thought we're conveying God's grace, sometimes we recognize that, you know what, maybe that's not the best way to put it, or maybe we need to do a little work before we say that. Today, we're closing out with let go and let God, right? That concept that, you know, sometimes things are the way they are, and you just have to trust it into God, but we don't want that to become a form of fatalism, that there's nothing that we can do, or there's no proper response to God. Sometimes people will put that like this, let Jesus take the wheel, which is always intriguing to me because Jesus never knew how to drive. I don't know that I really want to turn over my Honda to Jesus. I'm not sure that that's the best way to use my Lord and Savior's time and talents and gifts and graces. Can you imagine? And here's, here's the thing that, you know, because people will say that. Sometimes you just got to let Jesus take the wheel. And after I work through that whole thing in my head about Jesus didn't know how to drive, I get to the point where I think, you know what? That's like me saying, you know what? I'm going to get out of the driver's seat. Maybe I'm over in the passenger seat, or maybe I'm just going to kick back in the back seat, and I'm going to let Jesus do all the work. But that's not the model that Jesus gives to us. Jesus shows us that Jesus came to walk with us, to be side by side, to be partners in our lives and in our ministries. Jesus isn't the one that's going to just do all the work, and we're just going to sit around in the back and text on our phones or have little conversations with other people. We're supposed to be actively engaged in our life and in the life of the church. And so this concept of letting go and letting God is one that comes from the idea that we recognize the lordship of Christ, that we recognize that God is in control, but how do we properly convey what the next part of that is? Let go and let God was meant to say, you know, you just have to trust in God. Well, why don't we just say that? Trust in God. It's supposed to convey the idea that sometimes you have to give up your will. You have to give up your wants and your ways so that God's will can be done. We could just say that too. Instead, sometimes when we kick out that little let God, let go and let God, sometimes what we're really saying is, you know what? This sounds like a big hot mess and I'm going to just let go and let God touch that. I don't want anything to do with that. But the reality is that we have people who are dear to our hearts, that are part of our family, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, other people that we go to school with. There are people in our spheres that are not Christians, or maybe they're not in the same place where we are. 
And they will turn to us in a moment and they will say, you know what, I'm going through so much. I have so much anxiety and so much burden. And in a moment of total honesty, transparency and vulnerability, they're going to get authentic with us and they're going to share with us. And then if we come back with, oh, you just let go and let God that. It makes them think to themselves, why did I even bother? Why did I put myself out there? I'm looking for a little bit more than just, you know, that's a bad thing. I have not had very many occasions where I have prayed to God and said, God, what do you want me to do? And God goes, I just want you to let me handle it and you go back to bed. Never gotten that answer. Never had God say, you know what, Sarah, I've got this, go buy shoes. Never had that. I'm waiting, but I've never gotten it. I think instead, the Bible shows us, what does the Lord require of you? We heard it from our, our opening liturgy with Micah. We heard it again in Deuteronomy that from the words of Moses. We heard, what does the Lord require of you but to do, to do justice, to do acts of righteousness, to keep the commandments? God expects us to do things as a response to our relationship with God, receiving God's grace, basking in God's unparalleled love and forgiveness. We have a response. It's not just, hey, everything's awesome. Take a time out till Jesus comes back. Instead, we are called to action in our lives and in the lives of those that we love that might be suffering and struggling, those who need to know that God is their God too. And not only is God their God, but we are their siblings of God. That all children of God are not only children that there is a huge family that God has cultivated across generations and across time, across culture and space, across large, vast bodies of water that no one could ever have imagined that there would be the kind of profound connection that there is. But because of the grace of Jesus Christ, because of the movement of the Holy Spirit, and because of the providence of God Almighty, we have a family that is bigger than we can ever imagine. And you'll get to meet them all one day in the kingdom to come. And then you'll get to spend all of eternity learning their names and their faces, hearing their stories, and trying to remember who's who. <laughs> you'll have that gift. So when we hear things like, you know, let go and let God, what we come to find is that instead of engaging, sometimes some Christians will use that as an excuse to step away. Some Christians will say, you know what, that's just too big, or I've got enough stuff over here, I really can't be bothered with all that right now. You know, I'm just trying to get through my stuff. I'm just trying to keep myself together, and I don't know that I can get involved in that. But nowhere, nowhere in the scriptures has that been the acceptable response. When Jesus was tired, when he was hungry, when he just wanted to get away and pray, anytime somebody came up to them, Jesus didn't say, can you come back on Tuesday? Jesus received them and heard them, answered their prayers answered their calls for healing and wholeness and forgiveness, reminding them that God is with them and for them every single day. We are called to nothing less. And the Apostle Paul that we just heard a moment ago in his letter to the church of Philippi was trying to undergird that. In, in a few verses before where I started, there are two women who are kind of leaders in the church, and they've had a disagreement, which women never have. It's astonishing <laughs> that that would be recorded in Scripture. And they've had this disagreement, and here, uh, this never happens in churches. Two of the leaders in the church have had a disagreement, and the church has divided over who's with whom. It never happens in churches. I know it's very rare and weird. That's why it's in the Bible, because it never happens. 
And so it's recorded in here, and Paul writes to them after he's long gone from Philippi. He writes back to them, and he says to them, you must do certain things. You must pray, and you must have prayers of supplication and prayers of thanksgiving. You need to be focused on rejoicing in what is good and righteous. You need to let God know where you are and where you're hoping to go so that God can continue to help you in this discernment process. And above all, do the good things. Do the things that you know are righteous, the things that have been modeled in Scripture, the things that I have shown you on behalf of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He encourages them to do things. Because when you're up to your neck in ministry, when you've got your hands immersed past your elbows and doing the work of Jesus Christ, you don't really have time to get into disagreements and to start church rifting relationship errors, right? You don't have that kind of time because you're busy and you've got a goal to, to accomplish and you have work to do and you find ways to get beyond the, the rift and the moment where you disagree because you know at the end of the day, all of us have to get together and serve Jesus Christ. And so he's encouraging them to continue to do what is right. But how many times in the history of the church have people had a disagreement and somebody chooses just to stop? You know what? I'm done. I'm just going to stop. And then somebody says, I'm just walking away. That is not the model that Jesus gave us. If that were true, I think by uh, Mark chapter 2, Jesus would have just booked. Because it doesn't take very long to get into the first recording of the gospel, Mark, to realize that there's a lot of brokenness even in the 12. It doesn't take a lot of time. Instead, God says, look, I am with you. I am well acquainted with your sin. I understand your suffering. I have seen your misery, both the misery that has been visited upon you and the stuff that you like to create in your own life. And I am choosing. I choose to be with you. I choose to stand with you in your moment of need. I choose to watch over you when you are sick and you are asleep. I choose to be in right relationship with you, even when you haven't made it the priority in your life. And so as we're moving toward Lent, it's especially important for us to take the opportunity that Lent presents and engage with it. Lent is about having 40 days, not including Sundays, to really focus on our relationship with God. It's an opportunity for us to say, here I am, Lord. Show me who I have been and show me who you want me to be. How can I get there? Show me the steps. So that ultimately on Easter, we are celebrating new life and transformation in us, not just in the empty tomb and the empty cross. We are celebrating that God has brought forth transformation and growth and maturity and thus joy to all of us as individual disciples of Jesus Christ and collectively as this body of Christ. That's why Lent is so important for us to realize that God is asking us to do, to respond to God's grace. But for so many of us, it's easier to make Sunday just like this hour-long check-in, right? Hey, God, I'm still here. Just wanted to let you know. But God is asking for more. God is asking for a relationship. That's why when we pray and we discern what God wants us to do in those moments when we are fearful or when we are full of anxiety, when we are thinking to ourselves, okay, let go and let God, and you pray to God and you ask God what the answer is, all right, God, how do you want me to let you and God never says, just tap out. God never says that. God never tells us, you know what, this is a big mess. Let's just move on. God doesn't do that. Instead, God says, let's see what you need to do. Let's see what relationships might help you in this moment, in this journey. It's an opportunity for us to start praying differently. 
you ever prayed a prayer where you've had the rift like the two women in the church of Philippi and you're like, God, I'm praying to you because this has happened and I just want you to fix her. I want you to show her where she's wrong. I know she's wrong. I know you know she's wrong. Help her to know that she is wrong so that we can get beyond this, right? I'm very good at praying those prayers. Can you tell? That's not what we're supposed to be praying. And instead, I have to actively rethink that. God, there's brokenness right now, and I need you to fix her. Fix me, oh God. Change how I look at this person. Change how I speak to her. Change the way in which we are going to engage. Teach me humility. Teach me how to say I'm sorry. Not I'm sorry because I was categorically wrong, but I'm sorry that our relationship has been torn asunder. I'm sorry that we are not reconciled and restored people. I am sorry, Lord, that there are things that I probably couldn't say and, and do differently. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things that I have said and done, and I'm sorry, Lord, for the things that I have not said and done. Teach me, Lord, to be part of the change and the redemption that you are bringing forth out of this brokenness. Change me. So instead of saying, let go and let God, what we're actually learning to pray is, let go of my fear, let go of my ego, let go of my pride, let go of my desire to be self-righteous and not righteous before the Lord. Let all of that go and let God tell us what the next step is. Tell me who you would have me be. Show me what you would want me to say. Indicate how I need to change what I do so that, Lord, this doesn't keep happening. So that there is newness and grace and restoration in the body of Christ. Show me, Lord. Let God show us what God would have us do. This hit home really hard the other week, uh, a couple weeks ago. I know I made an announcement about how we no longer had our staff that was dedicated to the youth ministry. And, and I, you know, after that happened, I remember going home and praying like I normally do and praying and going, now what? And if my response had been let go and let God in the traditional sense, then it would have been, you know what? That's not my problem. That's not my problem. I have a whole list of things that are my responsibilities, and that's not one of them. That's not my problem. But the truth is that that's a lie. It is my responsibility. It is our responsibility as the body of Christ when people don't have ministry that enables them to experience God's grace. It is our problem as the body of Christ if there are people that don't feel like they can explore their faith, they can grow in their spiritual disciplines, and they can cultivate a community that will be with them and for them in their moments of need, and their moments of celebration, and as they are growing into this thing we call discipleship. That is our problem. We can't say, oh, that's a big problem but we're just going to let go and let God figure that out. We don't get to say that as the body of Christ. And so when I decided to say, God, now what? I was thinking, now what? Who are you going to tell us is going to do this? I didn't want God to say, you know what? You are going to do it. You are going to do it. And then when God said that, I will confess to you that there was a moment where I was like, no, no, no. Right? And then you have this one. Why me, oh, Lord? Why me? Why? Because God knows that sometimes when we choose to let go of our fear and our anxiety and we let God tell us what God wants, sometimes we are the ones that are blessed. And so I offered all of you to go through this discernment with me. I offered you to be praying and going through it. And you have the number of conversations and the emails and the meetings that I have had. 
And it worked because not only have I and the staff pastor parish relations committee discerned that there is a shift that we can do in some of my administrative duties so that I can do this ministry for our youth, but it also helps someone else discern that, hey, I want to be part of this. I feel God calling me to be a part of this. After church last Sunday, I got, a, I got an email from Bart Isley, who attends with his family at 930, and he said, I, I didn't even hear what you were preaching on Sunday, which is not how you begin an email to a pastor, by the way. <laughs> it's not generally warm and fuzzies. But it was warm and fuzzies because he said, I was discerning. I was hearing God speak to me. And at the end of it, what I heard was, you should join her. You should join her. And so Bart and I met last week, and he has now become my partner in youth ministerial shenanigans. Because who doesn't love ministerial shenanigans? I do. Bart actually has a very extensive repertoire of ministerial shenanigans. And so he's going to be bringing that gift. And then all of a sudden, things started to happen. We started to talk about, you know, this is what's going to happen. In one hour, one hour, the Holy Spirit gave me a plan for youth ministry meetings Wednesdays at the Parsonage, my house, from 6.30 to 8 o'clock at night through the end of July. I got it all planned. And then Bart's like, this piece here where you, every week you have the 30-minute Bible study that you're doing, and then you have this piece for activity slash games. He's like, 20 minutes every week. I said, yeah, 20 minutes every week. He's like, that's me, I'm in. That's me, I'm in. And even this morning, after preaching at 9.30, I had someone walk up and go, hey, we can host too. You see what happens when you let go of your fear and anxiety and you let God tell you what you're going to do? But here's the kicker. We have to agree to do it, right? It'd be one thing if it's like, oh, yes, this looks very good, God, and now I will find some poor, unwitting disciple in a pew to do it. <laughs> no. No, it's about recognizing that this is my call, that this is what God has asked me to do. And a part of the undergirding and the discernment process is how quick and how joyful it is, that it comes fast, that there's inspiring creativity that allows us to be functional, allows us to do it. And so when we are thinking about, you know, who are we supposed to be, I didn't think that almost at the age of 40 that I would be like, yay, youth ministry. I haven't been yay, youth ministry since I was 17. But here I am. And not only here I am, but Bart's with me, and others are, are, are looking to become involved. And that's how you know that God is leading us into something. God's leading us somewhere. And God will not forsake us. God will not abandon us. It's not going to be all smooth sailing. Who knows what happens when you invite people into your house? I mean, I know what happens when I invite people over to the parsonage. Y'all are like, wear the shoes. <laughs> I know. And if you want to see the shoes, then guess who gets to volunteer for youth ministry? I will show you all the shoes. It's a lot of shoes. It's going to take all of 90 minutes, that Wednesday meeting, for you to see all the shoes. And so there are times for us to look to see what God would have us be. What do you want our response to be, Lord? So when we hear heartbreaking things, when we hear people crying out to us and daring to be authentic and vulnerable, our response must be, what is it that you think God wants from you? What do you want God to do for you here and then maybe we can start by praying for that and then let me see what God is calling me to do. You know, one of the practices that I have developed is that when I go to visit people in the hospital or rehabilitation therapy or when they're recovering at home and we start to talk about what's going on, I like to make sure I understand exactly where we are. Where are you in the healing process? Where are you with your diagnosis? Where is that? And then before we pray, I will ask, 
what are we praying for? What is it that we are praying for? Tell me what your hopes are. Tell me what your fears are. What is it that we need to be praying together for you? I have had people share with me incredibly vulnerable things in those moments. I have had people tell me that they were ready to die and that they wanted for all of that to end and God to be merciful. I have had people tell me, you know, I'm not ready to give in. I'm not ready to give up. I'm not asking for God to miraculously cure me, but I am asking for God to help me manage the pain, help me manage the treatment so that I can continue to do the work and to see the things and experience my loved ones the way I want to do it. Then that's what we'll pray. We will pray for what your heart is crying out for in prayer and supplication. We will pray with thanksgiving, knowing that God hears us and that God will work through all kinds of vessels, doctors, nurses, medical techs, hospital staff, that God will work through these people so that you can have blessings and abundance, knowing that God has not forsaken you, but that we are a part of that, that we are in this together. There is no isolated suffering in the body of Christ. If one of us is sick and suffering, whether that be physically, mentally, or spiritually, all of us are impacted. We are in this together. And so while there's a part of me that's very sad that we're leaving this concept of the hurtful things Christians say behind, the other part of me is excited to see what will happen in Lent. There's a part of me, and Lent comes every year. It's not like this is my first Lent. But this year, it feels like God is going to do something new. So next Wednesday, we'll be doing the imposition of ashes twice. And then the Wednesday after that, at 6.30 at my house, I'm going to be hosting a youth ministry. Something new and something exciting. Something that lets us know that, you know what, God will show us not just a way forward, but a way to fruitfulness and triumph. And I believe that. I have to believe that when you are prayerfully discerning and engaging in holy conversation, you're reading the scriptures and you're this plugged in and dialed in to the movement of the Holy Spirit that God's going to do something with that. God doesn't just take that kind of energy in the scripture and go, you know what, sit on that for four months and maybe I'll do something with it later. God takes the excitement and the joy that we have and immediately puts it to use. That's why every time Jesus healed or Jesus had an, a powerful encounter, the first thing Jesus said was, go present yourself before the priest. Go make an offering to the Lord. Go tell people. Our response is to do, to proclaim, to share the good news. So may that be what we cultivate this Lent, that we have an opportunity to explore who God will be for us and who God will be revealed to be through us. And that come Easter, Crozet will look different because we have done our holy work. We have engaged in our spiritual disciplines and we have prayed the right things. What would you have us be, Almighty God? Where would you have me serve? Where would you have me heal? Where would you have me speak your truth? And where would you have your truth spoken to me? May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.